It's been called the world's oldest hatred. And has led to pogroms, massacres and genocide. They closed the synagogue and they burned them alive, the Nazis. Today, seven decades on, anti-Semitism is on the rise again. At the beginning, anti-Semitism was against the individual Jewish person. Today, I'm afraid there is anti-Semitism against the Jewish state. But is it also being used and abused by defenders of Israel? The Jewish people will defend itself by itself against any threat. That's what the Jewish state is all about. Is opposition to the Jewish state and to Zionism really an attack on all Jews? My guest tonight is an ardent critic of what he calls the new anti-Semitism, but he's also claimed that Islamophobia is a myth. I'm Mehdi Hassan, and I've come here to the Oxford Union to go head-to-head -head with the Israeli historian Robert Wistrich, who controversially claims that anti-Zionism has become the most dangerous and effective form of anti-Semitism today. I'll ask him whether there's room for any fair criticism of Israel, and whether we should be taking Islamophobia as seriously as we take anti-Jewish prejudice. Tonight, I'll also be joined by Hannah Weisfeld, founder and director of Yachad, the pro-Israel, pro-peace movement, Jonathan Arkush, vice president of the Board of Deputies of British Jews, Richard Cooper, founder of Jews for Justice for Palestinians, and Sharif Nashashibi, a Palestinian commentator and former advisor to the UN. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Professor Robert Wistrich. The author of A Lethal Obsession and professor at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, he's considered one of the world's leading scholars on anti-Semitism. Robert Wistrich, we've seen a rise, a horrific rise in anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism attacks uh, in Europe in recent years. We're very familiar with the evil of anti-Semitism. What I want to ask you to begin this discussion is this. What actually is new in the so-called new anti-Semitism that you and others have written so much about and done so much to highlight? The current manifestations are a blend of the old and new in which the novel element, I think, is the focus increasingly on the state of Israel as representing, in some sense, the collective Jew. You've written that anti-Zionism, criticism of Zionism, of Israel, has become, quote, the most dangerous and effective form of anti-Semitism in our time. I think what I'm referring to there is where we see attacks on um, Jewish communities or institutions which are carried out by people who self-identify as jihadi. They use an argument that belongs to the vocabulary of anti-Zionism, and they say this is in revenge for Palestine. How would you define Zionism? It's a deeply contested term. Zionism is the aspiration, and in fact the movement, and ultimately the, uh, the whole um, institutional structure that permitted the establishment uh, of initially a Jewish national home, then a state, uh, in the land 
of Israel that others call Palestine or Zion, whatever you want to call it. Do you not call it Palestine? I think everyone is entitled to use the terminology they wish. I prefer the terminology okay. land of Israel. Anti-Semitism. You're one of the world's experts on this. How would you define it in a sentence or two? Anti-Semitism literally is the um, expression of hostility or hatred towards the Jews as a race. But of course, there are many other manifestations which are not strictly speaking racial. They could be cultural, political, ideological, religious, and so on. Here's what's interesting. You're a historian, obviously. Yeah. Um, surely you'd accept uh, that some of the earliest Zionists, so they're actually anti-Semites, people who saw Zionism as a way of getting Jews out of Europe and sending them somewhere far away. And at the same time, we're talking about, what, 100 years ago, some of the earliest anti-Zionists were actually quite prominent Jewish figures, men like the British politician Edwin Montague, who called Zionism, quote, a mischievous political creed, which would result in Jews being, quote, treated as foreigners in every country but Palestine. I wouldn't agree with the proposition that most of the early uh, Zionists were anti-Semites. What I think is true is they shared one common goal with anti-Semites, which is the belief that Jews did not have a future in Europe in particular, and that therefore the solution of what was called the Jewish question, which was largely anti-Semitism, would be in a sovereign state in Israel. Well, let's just deal with that. It's very interesting you raised the Zionist idea. You say that what they had in common with the anti-Semites was that there was no future in Europe. Would you say that's still the position of mainstream Zionism today? Yes and no. I mean, as I'm sure you all uh, noted, due the recent events in Paris, the Prime Minister of Israel came uh, to France and he called on the Jews of France to make their aliyah, you will be welcome in the Jewish homeland. Uh, in response to a recent event in uh, Copenhagen, uh, there was a similar declaration. Which so the that chief extent, rabbi of Denmark was very upset about. Indeed he was. And uh, so therefore, to that extent, it's true. Netanyahu said they know deep in their hearts that they have only one country, the state of Israel, that Israel is, quote, their true home. When you say stuff like that, aren't you basically acting as a recruiting sergeant for anti-Semitism? Well, it's a subtle point. Um, Not that subtle. He, he said it in a pretty unsubtle way. <laughs> I would agree with you that this statement was not particularly diplomatic. Um, and yet here you have leading Israeli politicians conflating all Jews with Israel. And do you see, therefore, that when you talk about trying to apportion blame for rising anti-Semitism, there's plenty of people on the quote-unquote Zionist side who are muddying the waters? I, I have to agree with you. Okay. Well, on that point of agreement, let's go to our, uh, our panel uh, of experts who have come here tonight to join uh, this discussion. Uh, Richard Cooper, you're the former chair of uh, Jews for Justice for Palestinians. Uh, you're Jewish, and yet you're a massive critic of Zionism. You're an anti-Zionist. So when Robert Wistrich says that anti-Zionism is the most effective and dangerous form of anti-Semitism we have today, uh, you're responsible for some danger and effective anti-Semitism. I think one has to draw distinctions. Anti-Semitism is an ideology which creates an image of the Jew as manipulative, as hateful, cunning, all-powerful, and so on. Anti-Zionism is a critique of Israel as a state in the modern world for what it does. When you look at the discrimination against Palestinians within Israel, when you look particularly at the occupation 
of the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and in effect of Gaza. When you look at its unwillingness to engage with trying to find a solution to the displacement of 700,000 Palestinians when Israel was established, those are the basis on which there are real grievances. Let me ask Robert to come back briefly on What I'm concerned about is the fact that in many quarters, what anti-Zionism has become over three, four decades, and especially more recently, it's become a kind of mask for an increasingly open form of demonization, of uh, even slander, and of deforming the essence of the whole Zionist uh, project. And I think that when the highly emotive and misleading language that Zionism and Israel is a Nazi state, then I think you have to recognize that we're going way beyond the points that you made. So it's the over-the-top demonization. Yes. But let me bring in Hannah Weisfeld, uh, who is uh, head of the uh, British uh, campaigning group Yakad, uh, a liberal Zionist, I think it's fair to describe you as. And when you hear the critique offered by Robert Wistridge of the quote-unquote anti-Zionist side, what's your response in terms of your dealings with people who, who do share quite strong criticism of Israel? I, I mean, I would agree with you that when you have an over-the-top critique of Israel that's, that strays into the realm of, you know, Nazism, of um, a Hitler state, of, you know, uh, Gestapo walking around, you know, it's completely over the top and it's anti-Semitic. What I would say is that we have to stop um, scaremongering when we talk about this issue. And we actually have to open up the space to have a reasonable conversation. And I think at the moment, what you're seeing in the public domain is fear everywhere and an inability of people to be able to distinguish between what's legitimate criticism, what is um, over the top exaggerated criticism, and actually what is plain anti-Semitism. Well, I'm just going to pick up on a point that both you and uh, Hannah raised, uh, which was about uh, the Nazi analogy. Avraham Shalom, yeah. former head of the Israeli security service, Shin Bet, he helped track down Adolf Eichmann. He grew up in Nazi Vienna in the 1930s. He said in the film The Gatekeepers, Israel has become a, quote, brutal occupation force, similar to the Germans in World War II. Is he an anti-Semite? I'd say that the people who make this statement, whether wittingly or unwittingly, they are feeding a current climate, which I, I find increasingly irrational. And they tend to direct it exclusively at Israel and to ignore massive human really? rights. Yes. I mean, I, this is a charge often held. A I mean, this list? is a charge that's often held. Double standards is often held as evidence of anti-Semitism. Many would say on the other side of the argument that the double standards are actually working in Israel's favor. Every other state in the world is open to criticism. On this show alone, we've criticized the British government, the American government, the Chinese government, the French government, uh, the Syrian government, the Pakistani government, even the Palestinian government. What's wrong with being anti-Israel? It's not anti-any state in the world. It's not wrong in itself. In other words, it's not intrinsically wrong. What is a legitimate non-anti-Semitic criticism of Israel? If someone accuses, goes on a protest and accuses Israel uh, of war crimes in Gaza and says Netanyahu is a war criminal, is that anti-Semitic in your view? No. Is calling for the right of return for Palestinians to return to their homes inside of Israel as per UN Resolution 194, is that anti-Semitic? Of course not. But what I think is... Uh, what I think needs to be taken into account 
is that to this day, in the PLO Charter, the whole process of the settlement, Jewish settlement, since the time of the Balfour Declaration, 1917, is considered null and void, illegitimate, it has no basis. Now that, again, it's not anti-Semitism, but when you look at the whole narrative constructed on that, what is your conclusion? It can only be that this is a country that was created basically by taking, dispossessing, stealing, exploiting the indigenous people. At the end of the day, if you pursue that narrative in such a one-sided way, I think many people will come to uh, anti-Jewish conclusions Why? because this seems Why? immoral because it's immoral if that's true that is immoral. That's a very strange statement America is criticized heavily for its foreign policy around the world um, should we all say that we're anti-christianist then or anti-christian? You'd say anti-american you'd say you certainly exactly. would say and that. And you didn't say anti-Israeli you said anti-Jewish you're conflating again well you're doing the conflating. If the language shifts to Jews and that's the not Jewish what you said. State. No, but with that's respect, what Robert, happened. you're now adding in a caveat. You first, you made a sweeping statement, which was if you take that narrative, which is a legitimate narrative, Israeli historians testify to the dispossession of the Palestinians and colonization of their land. You suggested that was anti-Jewish. No, I'm you not, did a few no. minutes ago. Well, that's your take on it. No, no, it's what you said. I'm quoting we, you. Well, <laughs> we can look at the film after. Okay. Well, well, rephrase your point how you like. There comes a point where, in fact, the consequences are that the Jewish people as such are indicted because it is a Jewish state and because the majority of Jews support its existence, and I think it's a very good thing that they do. Is supporting the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, the BDS movement, the boycotting of Israeli institutions calling for sanctions on Israel, is that anti-Semitic? Intrinsically, no, but that doesn't mean there aren't anti-Semites among them. You, you, you said you've gone further in print. In your book, you say it's implicitly anti-Jewish. You're just smearing a whole bunch of people who you don't know, who have expressed legitimate political goals in the same way that people called for a boycott of South Africa, people have called for a boycott of Russia, etc., etc. And you've there gone and called them anti-Jewish. You might be better advised to ask some of the people who've been involved directly in those specific debates and their feeling as Jews of facing a very anti-Jewish atmosphere and refusal, in fact, to debate in a fair-minded way on these points. There well, are many cases. Jews who support BDS. Quite famous, prominent some. Jews. Naomi Klein, the journalist, is a supporter of BDS. Uh, Israeli academics like Jeff Halper, Ilan Pape, Rachel Gura are supporters of BDS. That, that's still a minority, a small minority. Okay, but my, you're Jewish. Surely you should accept the fact that minorities are not always wrong. I'm Muslim, we're members of minority communities. Being a minority is not, nothing wrong with being a minority. By the same token, I could just say to you, well, minorities are not necessarily right. Okay, um, just before we go back to our panel, yes. is supporting the idea that Israel is an apartheid state, calling mm. Israel an apartheid state, is that evidence of anti-Semitism, of anti-Jewishness, of implicit anti-Jewishness? Desmond Tutu has made the comparison. He's not an anti-Semite, is he? Just to check. Uh, Desmond Tutu, I think, is very problematic. Oh, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu yes. might be a little bit anti-Semitic. Well, I'm saying he's problematic on What's the Jewish mean? issue. Come on, Robert, let's come on, be frank, you're not a politician. What does problematic mean? Are you, th that sounds like code for, yeah, he's an anti-Semite. Come on, say it if that's what you feel. <laughs> 
Okay, let me give you a concrete example. I was in South Africa. It was during the Gaza War. I went past the cathedral where Desmond Tutu, I believe, preached. Yep. And there was big um, kind of billboard sign, and there was a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross, and behind him, pictures of Gaza, and every day they are being crucified. That was the message. Why do we need to draw on that analogy? So you're accusing Desmond Tutu of indulging in the blood libel? I'm saying that this is very loaded and shouldn't have been there. Okay, can I bring in Jonathan Arkush, who's Vice President uh, of the Board of Deputies of British Jews. On the anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism front, where do you draw the line? Well, I'm rather bothered about this debate tonight. Are we here to talk about anti-Semitism or racism, which is what it is? Let's call it by its proper name. And racism is bad, or are we here talking about an old-fashioned anti-Israel agenda, which is frankly outmoded and unnecessary and it's the climate it's funny that you call it old because let me finish the climate of this ritual incantation of slurs about israel is what gives rise to an anti-semitic agenda and is why islamists arm themselves and go and shoot people in paris and copenhagen just because they're jewish so criticism so let me just be clear here if we criticise Israel, we are responsible for mad Islamists, whatever you want to call them, terrorists going out and killing Jews. No, of course not. Well, that's what it sounded no, like you were saying not. a moment ago. But if you are obsessive and virulent Am in your criticism of Israel, yes, Israel occupies a ridiculously excessive part of the column inches when there are far more egregious human rights offenders all around the world, but it's always about Israel. And surely we okay. Jews and Muslims should be standing together Agreed. against gonna, the racists in our country. Agreed, and we're going to be talking about that as we go forward. Can I just ask you this question? Uh, do you agree with Benjamin Netanyahu when he says you as a British Jew have only one country and that Israel is your true home? I don't think it's a correct statement. You don't think it's irresponsible, given the rising racism we just talked about? No, I don't think it's irresponsible. I think it's absolutely understandable for the Prime Minister of the State of Israel to say such a thing he hasn't. Let me bring in Sharif Nashashibi. He's been very quiet so far. Um, Sharif is a British-Palestinian journalist, co-founder of Arab Media Watch. Um, Jonathan says, we give disproportionate attention to Israel, and that's what partly or implicitly leads to some of the anti-Semitism we've seen around the world. I I have never come across a critic of Israel who has not been a critic of other governments, who has not supported other causes. This is just simply not the case. This is a diversionary tactic. And I have to say, Professor, with all due respect, I have seldom come across a more slippery and confusing performance on this show. You have constantly, you have constantly shifted the goalposts with every question that Mehdi has asked. But according to your writings online, which I've read, you are very unequivocal that there are a whole list of legitimate grievances and criticisms of Israel that you deem anti-Semitic. And according to that logic, half this room is anti-Semitic. And unfortunately, in your writings, you conflate Israel and Judaism. That's what anti-Semites do. Uh, This baffles me. You are devaluing the meaning of anti-Semitism and the very real threat that it poses. Robert, do you want to respond to Pete? (laughs) Nobody that I know, um, certainly not in academia, would simply equate Israel and Judaism. That would be a ludicrous proposition from a scholarly point of view. But But Israel is a Jewish state. By saying that criticizing Israel is anti-Semitic, you are conflating Israel and Judaism. And that's what anti-Semites do. It is a very dangerous game. No, but you are the one who's being very slippery here. Not at all. Because in fact, 
what you're saying is that I'm conflating criticism, but on every question that I was specifically asked that addressed criticism, I said no. Because I don't Sorry, conflate Mahdi, it. that's the whole point. Mahdi has pointed can, out contradictions I'm, in your own answers on this very show. No. Richard Cooper wants to come in very briefly. Yes, very briefly, to say that the problem in all these discussions is the slippery elisions between Jews, Zionists, and Israelis. And it has to be said that Zionist leaders are in the forefront of making these elisions. Netanyahu's thing is a terrible statement which affects all of us Jews in Britain and needs to be rejected wholeheartedly, unequivocally, without any hesitation, Jonathan. You can't sit on the fence on that. He is saying we are not loyal to the countries of Europe or elsewhere where we live. It is rubbish. At the same time, the Jewish Leadership Council and others called demonstrations during the Gazan War in which the Jewish community put up a brave, united face. We, all Jews, support Israel. It's not true. I was on the demonstrations in support of the Gazans who were being bombed with well, others. Let me bring Jonathan, do you want to respond to that point? What I'd like to ask Richard is whether when he went to those anti-Gaza conflict demonstrations, he saw the printed signs Hitler was right. Didn't you feel uncomfortable being there? On the demonstration, let me tell you my experience with Jews for Justice for Palestinians. Hundreds, hundreds of young Muslims said they were absolutely delighted to see that all Jews were not in support of what was happening in Gaza. I was proud to be there. If you say that there is implicit anti-Jewishness, and yet we also, as Jonathan rightly points out, have this very vicious anti-Semitism in Europe today, racism today, we all know what it is when a synagogue is targeted uh, or a Jewish child is targeted, isn't the danger that you empty that very important term anti-Semitism of its important meaning, like the boy who cried wolf? What, in effect, this amounts to is to say, at the end of the day, all the people who are raising the issues about anti-Semitism that does exist within much of the virulent propaganda and critiques and, and uh, slogans about Zionism and Israel, you're saying that the people who raise objections to it are actually, are actually increasing anti-Semitism. If you are really genuinely interested, and I, I'm assuming that you are. That's very kind of you. Yes. Uh, I'm assuming that you are, that we can draw something constructive out of these polemics and that we can also find a way, a more positive way, particularly for Jews and Muslims, to face what are, to a degree, common problems. I mean, it's not all conflict. There is some well, common ground. And that's a perfect, perfect point in which to take a break because that segues uh, neatly uh, into where the discussion is going to go in part two, uh, where we want to talk about some of this common ground and some of the areas where there isn't common ground. We do want to talk about anti-Semitism and the far right and Islamophobia. Uh, join us in part two for Head to Head. Welcome back. 
to Head to Head on Al Jazeera English. My guest tonight uh, is Professor Robert Wistrich, the Israeli academic considered by many to be one of the world's leading authorities on anti-Semitism. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the debate over uh, anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism in part one of the show in terms of uh, criticism of Israel and, and some of the conflations that are done on all sides. Um, today in Europe, uh, the far right is commonly seen to be on the rise in many countries. Uh, we've seen Golden Dawn in Greece. Uh, we've seen the Front National rising in France, uh, Jobbik in Hungary, some very nasty far right, and some would say not neo-Nazi, but actual Nazi parties doing very well. Would you agree with the argument that Muslims and Jews who face common threats from these groups should be working together to counter the threat from these groups? Well, first of all, I certainly think it's desirable I think in certain instances, it's actually happening, but happening too slowly, perhaps. Uh, there are still major obstacles. Let me give an example from France, because as you know, the uh, Front National, they uh, campaign against the Islamicization of France. For Jews, this certainly rings some alarm bells, both Jews and Muslims are perceived at some level in varying degrees as either alien, as in the best case exotic, as being perhaps Asiatic, Oriental, Semitic, and, and here there's a similarity in the stereotypization. So I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say this, but what, what I'm confused about is, I mean, my own view is that Islamophobia is on the rise across Europe, that's indisputable, and anti-Semitism is on the rise across parts of Europe, that's indisputable too. You've written that Islamophobia is a myth, and that's what I find slightly problematic, to borrow a phrase. Again, I don't know exactly the context. You, said, you say in Lethal Obsession, page 579, yes. they've encouraged the myth of Islamophobia, of an anti-Muslim racism that supposedly resembles yesterday's anti-Semitism. I do think that if you look at the origins of the concept of Islamophobia and the way it gradually um, entered the vocabulary, I think you'll find that certainly it was very much promoted by what we could call the more radical Islamic forces. Even if I were to accept that, mm. that doesn't change the fact today that whatever you want to call it, Islamophobia, anti-Muslim hatred, anti-bigotry, towards Muslim communities is on the rise, is clearly real and not a myth. Would we both agree on that? I would agree the last four or five years, which by the way, are the years after I published that book, I would not have written that sentence. I really appreciate, we have a lot of guests on this show uh, who try and run away from things they've written and I appreciate that that's what you're saying that was in 2010. But I ask you genuinely, are you saying really that up till 2010 you didn't think there was any Islamophobia and it just not started any. in 2010? didn't start. I mean, what I'm saying is that Islamophobia, it was used as a way of mobilizing a certain kind of Islam. Um, and I can see why it would be used that way, but that the reality has caught up if you like, yes. with the quote-unquote myth. And do you realize, and now that's can where I, can we I are. just point out to you yeah. that if I was to say the same statement substituting Islamophobia for anti-Semitism about Jews, that would be regarded as rightly offensive, that Jews are using anti-Semitism to get ahead or but push a political But that's being said all the time. But it's, but it's wrong. But Robert, we're not in the playground. Two wrongs don't make a right, do they? I'm saying both statements are wrong. Are you? No, because I think that the agenda was to rally support for radical Islam by saying, you Muslims are living in a deeply Islamophobic environment. 
Now, you, I'm saying that we, unfortunately we are now arriving at that okay. point. I think we were before 2010. You also say in the book the Muslim grievance industry uh, builds on a sense of victimhood. Yes. If I wrote the sentence as a columnist, the Jewish grievance industry builds on a sense of victimhood, Jonathan would rightly call me out on it in Britain in a public debate, and I would rightly apologise for that. I would never use that phrase. Let's be consistent in fighting these bigotries. I'm all in favour of consistency, and nobody's perfect. Fine, I appreciate that. You, your critics have criticised you uh, over some of your phraseology. You have a chapter in the book called Eurabia, which many people have argued is a very far-right view of the world, which sees Europe as being taken over by Muslims or Arabs. And I just want to put this point to you. Um, when Muslims say, we're the new Jews, not the Jews of 1945, but the Jews of the 1920s, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's discrimination, there's demonisation, we're treated differently in the way we look, the way we eat, our clothing, etc. In fact, the last genocidal massacre in Europe was against Muslims, Srebrenica, 20 years ago this year. What's your response to them? I think that increasingly in Europe, we see an unfriendly and perhaps even a hostile environment where things such as um, kosher slaughter or halal in the case of Muslims or circumcision, circumcision. which affects equally uh, Jews and Muslims, are not only being contested, but actually their efforts, active efforts to legislate which would have very serious implications. In your books and articles, you say other things. You say things like the creeping Islamization of Europe is not without foundation. And that kind of stuff obviously worries a lot of people. So is that just stuff that you've evolved your views on, or is that... We've all evolved our views on various issues, so well, I'm just wondering. Well, I'm sure you'd agree that a person who never, ever changes their views can't be that bright. Okay. So is that a... That is a you're not a fan of the phrase creeping Islamization of Europe? A phrase you've used. It's an unfortunate phrase. And I'm, I'm surprised that if I used it, I'm surprised. You, you did. Eurabia? I'm not trying to slip out. No, no. And Eurabia? I think the term is problematic. Yes. Problematic. Okay. Let's go to our panel. Richard Cooper, from uh, former chair of Jews for Justice Policy, is very eager to come in. Richard. Yes, I, I think when discussing these issues, it's quite a good idea if we think there's anti-Semitism, we think there's Islamophobia, to put ourselves in the position of the other and say, if this were happening to our group, how would we react? And I would say that very much about the treatment of the Palestinians to refer back to earlier in the program. If we were not allowed to buy housing in Israel without going to allocation committees which decide whether we would fit into that community, if that were happening to Jews, would we not scream anti-Semitism? Yet that is precisely what is happening to Palestinians. And this is in Israel. This is not in the occupied territories. And yes, I'm absolutely convinced there is massive Islamophobia. Jonathan, let me, let me ask you, you're the Vice President of the Board of Deputies of British Jews. We've seen horrific attacks uh, on the Jewish community, terrorist attacks. When Muslim groups say, why don't governments in the West take Islamophobia seriously, do you empathise with them or do you think, no, actually, they're exaggerating? Well, you know, when there is an attack on a church or a synagogue, Jews and Christians don't run out shouting, God is great, and decapitate Muslims. There is a difference here. The fact is, the violence, sadly, is coming from a particular jihadist extremist form of Muslim, which I absolutely accept is a tiny minority. It was the Muslim Council of Britain who said in the summer, no matter how strong our feelings are about Israel-Palestine, it does not 
justify anti-Semitism. And equally, I say, no matter how strong Jewish feelings are about Israel-Palestine, it does not justify the hatred of Islam as a religion or Muslims as Muslims. Okay. Um, well, do you think uh, European governments uh, are taking an equally serious stance on both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, or should they even? Well, they certainly should. I follow very carefully what they say about, about anti-Semitism, and it's very clear that in the last few months, the British government has been extremely outspoken about the levels of anti-Semitism. I'm not aware to what extent there is that same debate Islamophob about Islamophobia. Sharif Nashashibi, uh, co-founder of Arab Media Watch, British-Palestinian uh, journalist and commentator, let me put the same question to you. I think the, the problem here is there is a lot of ground for cooperation between the two communities because they face the same threat. But when you have people like the professor who espouse this idea of the Islamification of Europe, um, this is really problematic. It, it's, it's not true, it's deeply offensive, and it's bigoted. And if I was a professor and I wrote about the Judaization of Europe and didn't see at the time that it was bigoted and wrong and offensive, um, I would give up my professorship. Okay, well, Robert, can I answer Robert, let, 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 Robert, let Robert respond to the charge made again. Well, I must say I find that pretty slanderous. And I, 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 it's, obvious, it's obvious to me that you didn't read, or certainly didn't read carefully, that particular chapter, because nothing was further from what I wrote, not what I'm saying now, but what I wrote, than to say that Europe is in the process of being Islamified. You say in Lethal Obsession, in the contemporary world of Eurabia, the golden rule remains never to criticize Arab governments or Muslim immigrants, to indulge in hypocritical and inflated public praise for Islamic culture. Look, that, that's your book, by the way. Look, so. that's one sentence. <laughs> I, yeah, it's one sentence. One sentence in a thousand page book. Do you think Muslims pose a demographic threat to Europe, or a demographic, are, are going to be uh, too many numbers of Muslims in Europe? Just to clarify. Who, who can possibly judge what is too many? I think every society at some point in its history reaches some kind of threshold where it appears it cannot absorb more than that without an ensuing violence and conflict. Who is to judge where that point is reached? Well, let's uh, take on board some comments from our audience members. Let's uh, bring in a uh, gentleman here in the second row. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm a South African, and you made reference briefly to apartheid, and it's an analogy that you in the past have called cynical political warfare. Uh, Jimmy Carter's called this situation in Israel one of apartheid, as says Desmond Tutu. Can you really deny that there are some similarities? I've been 32 years a professor at the Hebrew University. I've had Arab students, I have interacted with Arabs, Every single day, wherever you go, Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs or Palestinians, whatever you want to call them, they intermingle, they converse, they interact. There's some residential divide, um, segregation even, but not official. Apartheid would be the most ludicrous description I could imagine of what it is like to live in Israel. Okay, let me bring in, let me bring in, Sharif is very keen to come in there, who's of Palestinian descent. From my experience living as a Palestinian under occupation, um, it's undoubtedly an apartheid system. When I have to queue for hours in the sun 
at a checkpoint to get somewhere where there are roads right next to me that only Jews can travel and they go right through, right freely. There are areas I can't travel. I'm under the complete control of whoever is at the checkpoint, sometimes turning people back, being questioned, being abused. That to me is apartheid. And for calling from another experience, when you have black South Africans saying that the, 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 what's happening in Israel to the Palestinians is apartheid, and in some cases worse than apartheid, that's an experience worth li listening to because they experienced it themselves. Okay, you made this work. Let me go back to the audience. I want to go to, I want to, go to the lady here and then the lady at the back. Thank you, Professor Wistrich. As a Muslim and an academic, I really do want to thank you from the bottom of the heart from pulling back from the dissemination of Eurabia theories in your earlier work. And I would invite you to commit yourself in paper and also take on the British people in the press who've been relying on your work to disseminate these racist conspiracy theories. But I wanted to, if I may, just very briefly to refer to a more recent article to which you are committed, I think, because it was published less than six months ago. You've said that the new anti-Semitism in Europe is part of the result of self-defeating, self-deceiving multiculturalism. A few paragraphs later, you say that Britain has the lowest levels of anti-Semitic incidents. But we know that Britain is the country in Europe that has the most multicultural policies. And France, Belgium, and Denmark, where there have recently been violent jihadist attacks on Jews in synagogues, have the most assimilationist policies. So on what basis are you blaming British-style multiculturalism for the new anti-Semitism? I don't think it's a question of blaming. First of all, as you know, recently the figures were published for the number of anti-Semitic incidents in Great Britain for 2014. They were over 1,000, the all-time high, over double, I think an increase of 137% in anti-Semitic incidents in this country. Now, with regard to multiculturalism, which was your real point, um, yes, it's true that Britain has gone a long way down the road my answer to you, which would be in the form of a question, is whether, in fact, this is really working here. I'm not sure. Um, just on her, on her specific question, given you've done so much rethinking tonight, shall we call it, uh, will you commit that to paper so that other people can see it in academic journals, that you no longer stand behind some of these rather offensive phrases like creeping Islamization, Eurabia, etc.? Is that something we can see in the future from Professor Robert Wistrich? I think you can always expect from me a rethinking to the best of my ability. Okay, I hope he doesn't mind me singling him out. I see Johnny Newton, uh, who's with the Community Security Trust, uh, which monitors the level of anti-Semitic incidents in the UK. Uh, we had some statistics mentioned there. Uh, can you tell us about what you think as one of the people collecting these stats? What's behind this, this rise in British anti-Semitism? Is it a rise in British anti-Semitism? Uh, the CST recorded over 1,000 anti-Semitic incidents that occurred in 2014, and the single biggest factor occurred over July and August during the Gaza crisis. Um, with regards to general levels of increasing anti-Semitism, what we've seen is a slow increase since 2000. And 2013 was a slight aberration where we saw a decrease. But in general, there is an increase of anti-Semitism in the UK. And this gentleman here and then this gentleman here. Um, as an Israeli and a Jew, I'm very proud to have both Israelis and Jewish people criticize Israel. My question is, do you feel, as people who are involved with uh, promoting peaceful coexistence between Israel and Palestinians, that you have the same amount of people on the Palestinian side criticizing the Palestinians' action or lack of action that okay. inhibit peace? Good question. Hannah, uh, very briefly, please. 
I sort of take issue with your, with, with your analysis, which is that I don't think it is a numbers game and I don't think it's a question of who's better at criticising their own side. It's, surely the question is, actually, how do you make peace? Not counting numbers of how many good Palestinians and good Jews okay. there are, which is what this conversation Gen is now about. Okay. Uh, gentleman there's been waiting for a while with the glasses. Yes, you? I still feel you haven't really answered one of your central points from earlier on uh, in the show when you were talking about how anti-Zionism is intrinsically anti-Semitic. How exactly should that be, uh, could any criticism be understood as in any way anti-Semitic in the same way that criticisms of the Muslim Brotherhood or to give a much more extreme case, not comparable, but Islamic State, uh, why would cri uh, criticisms of those certainly wouldn't be understood as, as Islamophobic? In a lot of the literature that unfortunately I'm obliged to read, um, what happens is you find definitions, to begin with, of Zionism as being an intrinsically and endemically racist ideology. Zionism is racism. Then the next move down that road is very often to say, what is the source of that racism? The source of the racism supposedly, allegedly, comes from the Torah. It comes from a certain notion that Jews allegedly have that they are superior to well, all other well, people. No, no, but this is a lot of this literature. I'm not saying all Palestinians think that. It's not unrepresented. And in fact, in fact, Robert, don't you, in your book, and I'm not yeah. sure if this is going to be one of the ones you pull back from, in your book you talk about the Quran being intrinsically anti-Jewish. Not you start intrinsically. You talk about I quote, that there are verses in the Quran. But you're playing which the same game. Awesome. We can all play the game, game of quoting it from is, religious scripture. It is a very dangerous road to go the down. The period of Medina in Muhammad's life, the, all the quotations there are much more hostile to Jews than the earlier period. That's why you have a kind of ambivalence there. That's that, a, that's debatable, and B, you're playing exactly the same game which you just responded to the questioner. You're doing exactly the same thing with the Muslim yeah. scripture that critics of, allegedly critics of Israel are doing with Jewish scripture. Do you not see the double standard? I don't think it's a double standard. I think it's an objective fact that there are passages very hostile to Jews in the Quran. And I there stand are passages very hostile to non-Jews to, uh, to non in the Old Testament. I mean, this is, this is yes, where, where, does that, that, where does this lead us, religious scripture picking of quotes? Listen, as you know, I'm sure, okay. uh, you know, religious core beliefs are very influential, even in our supposedly entirely secularized world. And do you believe Islam has a religious core belief that's anti-Semitic? Mm, I think there are elements that have been very effectively exploited by Islamic fundamentalists in that direction. And if someone was to say to I you... I think that's a, a wrong interpretation. And, but, I, and, I, yeah. and I might meet you halfway there, but if someone was to say to you that there are elements of, say, the Jewish far right and Jewish settlers who have exploited the scripture to be anti-Arab, would you agree with that? I would. Okay, good. I love it when we agree. Um, lady there in the back. Yes, I am an Arab. I speak Arabic, which is a Semitic language. Uh, we had Jews living in, in my own country for four for years. What is your country out of interest? So, uh, I let him guess. Okay. <laughs> uh, yet I am uh, extremely against the Zionist ideology. So where do I stand in the spectrum of anti-Semitism that you have? Look, I don't know you well enough. And <laughs> Ooh, high praise. So, <laughs> but what I can say is, I think there are elements of the Palestinian opposition, strong opposition, rejection even, of Zionism, that anyone 
can understand. However, in that cause, there have been, as with Zionism itself, many different strands. And some of those strands have, in fact, used anti-Semitic motifs. That doesn't brand the whole movement in that way. And, and so have some ultra-right-wing Zionists. That doesn't yes, brand, you would I, say that doesn't brand the whole of Israel in that way. I mean, there's yeah, enough hate speech to go agree, around. I think, I think agree, we agree, wouldn't we? We agree on that point. Fine, okay, this lady here wants to come in. Hello, I'm an American Jew. I think anti-Semitism is an ignorant philosophy. I also think that I'm, to be a self-hating Jew because I challenge the government of Benjamin Netanyahu is ignorant. I am proud to be Jewish, but the Israeli government does not speak for me. How do you resolve that dichotomy? Indeed, I don't see why we should expect or assume that a government, in your case it's a foreign government because you're not a citizen of the State of Israel, would speak for you. I, uh, He's it, claiming to speak for all Jews. Well, the statement he made I thought was ill-advised. I think he still had the right to make it because when the Prime Minister of Israel goes to France after a massive attack of that kind and the Jews of France want to hear words of reassurance apart from what they heard from the French government, which was important, I think it's legitimate. He didn't choose the right words. It wasn't just the right words. It's that whole attitude. Perhaps. You have anti-Semites who want a Europe free of Jews, and you, want, you have an Israeli prime minister who seems to want a Europe free of Jews. <laughs> it's a very odd I, position to I'm be. I'm sure he wouldn't agree with you on that well, Massive immigration yeah. he called for after the Copenhagen attack. Massive immigration. We will welcome you with open arms. The people who are anti-Semitic want Europe to be free of Jews because they hate Jews. The Prime Minister of the Jewish State yeah, I agree. might, might like reason. Europe to be free outcome. of Jews because he wants Jews to be saved is from Israel, the anti-Semitism anti of those who hate them because they're Jewish. What's the comparison? Should, Jonathan, should all, should all Jews leave Israel? Because it's not that safe in Israel either, on that basis. <laughs> I mean, I'm lady, lady, lady right at the back, yep, with your hand up. We've been talking a bit tonight about um, whether there is some kind of Islamification of Europe. And um, my question is, what would be wrong with that at all? I personally wouldn't have a problem as a Christian to have more Muslims and more Jews in Europe. Just look at what has been happening in the last year. Look at the small, particularly the smaller Jewish communities, countries like Belgium, Holland, the larger ones in France, now in the UK, we'll see what happens. Now, most of these attacks, sadly, unfortunately, nobody's seeking now to stigmatize Muslims as a whole, let's be clear. But the fact is, they have been carried out by self-identified jihadis. So, when you pose this seemingly you know, nice, attractive, peaceful image. I wish it was so, but that doesn't describe the current reality, and I think we do need to face that. On that note, we're yeah. going to have to leave it there. Professor Robert Wistress, thanks for joining us on Head to Head. Thank you. Thank you very much to our audience here in the Oxford Union, to our panel of experts who came to take part. Thank you very much for watching at home on Head to Head. Good night. <laughs>